A father loses a part of his face after a serious disease gets picked up after what was a simple diagnosis. A star of a big-time TV show, Jesse Smollett, has lost his job. And Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz may have lost their minds because they're agreeing to some big-time legislation. Those are some big-time stories for this week. Not as big as top 10 material because then I wouldn't be talking about them in the teaser now, would I? So what stories are in the top 10 of the grand total of 204 stories posted for this week? We will talk about them in mere moments on the wrap-up show with me, Jacob and Payne. This is the show for the week ending June the 8th, 2019. And welcome to the show. My name, as once said and will continue to be said, is Jay Cliffin Payne, and this is the wrap-up show presented to you by the Conversation Project at this is the conversation.com. And what that's all about is making sure we have the best conversations with the best conversationalists around the world. We talk about everything, and we mean everything. This is a podcast that talks about a new a website that deals with news stories that tries to get around whatever is the breaking news that stays on the Chiron for hours at a time and talks about as many news stories from many news sources as possible. You may think some of it is fake news, and we sometimes suspect some of the links are a little weird, and we'll talk about that in today's story or today's podcast because we had a very controversial one pop up this week. However, we think they're mostly safe and we're pretty much okay with them. So we put as many of them as possible. In fact, we put a new link out on our social media sites every 50 minutes of different news stories. Like we said, as many as we can. So we want to know what stories you guys are actually want to get into, what stories you want to talk about in deeper conversations, and not just whatever the news cycle says is the biggest story. And you vote on these stories for here. And you vote by simply going to the social media sites and engaging with the stories on Facebook. Look for this is a conversation also we're there that way on instagram as well and on twitter it's th underscore conversation so as you see the stories come through your feed just engage with them like them love them hate them share them and we had a lot of hate for one particular story this week and we'll get them into the top 10 now as we said this week we had 204 distinct different postings of stories so that many stories we went through we'll only talk about in this first segment the top 10 stories counting down like casey Kasem did from 10 to 1 in the second segment, we'll have what we call our housekeeping, going through any funny business that may have occurred inside of the show, inside of the countdown. No actual oddness in this week's show, but we may readdress the story we'll get to in the first segment, a one about a lot, a lot of hate for this week. We also talk about what we call our almost relevant story of the week, which is the very last story in the list. If you hadn't heard so far, 204 is the actual number, and this one is one that did get a late posting, but... It's not all that irrelevant in the grand scheme of the world, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. We wrap things up in the third segment as we literally wrap up the top 15. We talk about stories 11 through 15, the stories that aren't quite in range, but close, and you can maybe discuss why maybe they didn't quite make it over the hump, and we'll do shout-outs to people who showed us extra love within the week on social media this week. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this whole thing so you get things going. As I said... You determine the stories we're talking about today, so follow us on Facebook and Twitter and be engaged into the stories, and that's how we got here this week. If you don't like what we have this week, you can change next week's by being more engaged. The number 10 story this week is uh, sort of a foreshadowing. The demise of James Holtzauer happened this week in real TV time. However, the oddity of the way this show is taped 
by the time he started airing his, his shows when he began his streak, he'd actually already lost his streak. So we all they all knew how long it was going to go, obviously, by the time we got to the end. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about something very good he did well before he got to the end of his run. Headline, Jeopardy champ James Holtzauer donates $10,000 to a charity that helps students stay in school. This was posted by us. We found the link and posted it in our social media on Saturday, June the 1st. Let's get you a few lines from the story where we got it from. Our source is CBS News' website. Jeopardy! champion James Holtzauer has won $2.065 million in counting, and he's already given some of it away. Now, he and his wife, Melissa, have donated $10,000 to the nation's leading dropout prevention organization. We are incredibly moved by the generosity of James and Melissa Holtzauer for the $10,000 donation today. The nonprofit communities and schools of Nevada wrote on Facebook this week, they were truly... Hashtag all in for kids, and we are so grateful for their support. Communities and Schools of Nevada is a local branch of a nationwide organization that works to prevent K-12 students from dropping out of school. The nonprofit's initiatives include mental health services, tutoring, and providing nutritional food to kids. Holt Sauer, 35, a professional gambler who lives in Las Vegas, became the second-ever Jeopardy! contestant to surpass $2 million in winnings. His win last Friday brought him up to one step closer to the all-time champion Ken Jennings' $2.5 million records. So go to our website, thisisthekonversation.com, click on the link for this week's podcast, and you'll see links to all the stories we talk about to get deeper into all the tales of what's going on. But as we already teased, and as you've known by now, Holtzauer has actually lost on Jeopardy and didn't actually hit Jennings' record, but he uh, got pretty darn close. He was much more efficient in getting to where he got than than Holtzauer was, uh, and it was an amazing run. He got there basically in half the time to make about the same amount of money. So check it out. Check out the link and check out more about the charity called Communities and Schools. Uh, Nevada was the local branch because he's in Nevada. That's where they gave to him and his wife, giving some of the winnings before he even got it to the end. Moving on to the story in the number nine spot this week. This is the headline. Trump to award Medal of Freedom to economist author Laffer. This was pulled from The Hill this week, and we posted on Friday, May the 20, May the 31st, so it lasted quite a bit. This one gets a bumper response, or more people responded to this one, the number 10 story, by 23.77%. That's how more people were into this one than the other story. A few lines from The Hill and their covering of this achievement, or non-achievement based on how you want to see it. President Trump will award the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor, to economist Arthur Laffer, the White House announced Friday. The president will honor Laffer on June 19th for his contributions to economic policy. The White House described Laffer as, quote, one of the most influential economists in American history, unquote, in announcing the award. Laffer championed supply-side economics and gained prominence serving as a top advisor to then-President Reagan. He established what is known as the Laffer Curve, which showed the increase in tax rates will eventually cause government revenue to decrease at a certain point. The models have been cited to argue the benefits of tax cuts. Critics of supply size economics argue that it has contributed to inequity and disproportionately benefits the wealthy. There you go. So there is a big issue on that one. Trump is giving something to someone who is obviously thinking on his his point of view in fact he wrote a book last year titled trumponomics inside the americans first plan to revive our economy there you go 
So as we are seeing, people who Donald Trump admires, not so much people who've earned a lot of things, and people who are more or less kissing up to Donald Trump are receiving the benefits of him being president. People who write him papers and say they'll treat him nice, will get nice stuff. Uh, Tiger Woods for just being a great golfer and showing courage, I guess, got the award a few weeks ago. And Laffer, who has a thought process that mimics the president's, although many people believe that it is a bad process, and actually wrote a book about the president and his thought process that they share. It's getting the medal. You can agree or disagree on that one. We can argue this one inside of social media or email me at inbox at gmail.com so we can talk further onto this story. Let's move on to the story in the eight spot this week. It's from the Down Under Australian News, and it was a big story. In fact, we're going to talk about it in the housekeeping because it was extremely controversial. Uh, in fact, a lot of people sent me notes to take it down because it was not real. However, there was a website, it was a real news site, they have a story, so we assumed it was real. In fact, it was something I had very little knowledge about, but because it was trending worldwide, I popped it in there to see what happened, and it made its way into the top 10. Now, it is the top Facebook story of the week, by the way, so there's also that, but it's only at the number 8 link, so it tells you how Twitter is taking things over these days, but... It's been a bit updated, so we'll go for that. But the original headline we posted, which is probably why things got really hairy, was Noah Powhatan of Arnoon in the Netherlands is legally euthanized. And as we said, we posted this on Wednesday, June the 5th. Uh, It's a bumper response of 4.27%. The source is news.com.au, a Australian overseas news site as as far as I know because we're not there. Uh, and the story has been updated a few times with a couple things going back and forth into the story, so bear with us. News Corp Australia essentially is the source if you want to make, make it a wire service. A few lines from the story. New reports suggest that a 17-year-old Dutch girl who was reportedly euthanized after being raped as a child actually died as refusing food and water. Noah Pahoven was reported to have been, quote, legally euthanized, but it turns out her request had been denied. Political reports that the teen died at the weekend several days after refusing all fluids and foods. Her parents and doctors agreed that they would not force feed her. Noah from Armen said in a social media post a day before her death last Sunday that she, quote, breathes but no longer lives, unquote. So you can see where people got really, really upset with this one because the headline and the actuality got a bit confused. And that happens a lot in the um, first response to big-time headlines like this. Someone jumps a gun, someone overthinks, or someone really does flat-out lie to get the um, eyeballs because they want to make it clip-baity. So we got a lot of emails, a lot of requests, a lot of social media things saying to remove it because it was wrong. The thing is, the way the cycle moves in news and the way things go through it was long gone in the system by the time it came out. And as we said, enough people responded to it for good or for ill to put it in the top 10. This is more or less an important story uh, to get into. And you can go deeper into the details of the story by going to our website. This is the conversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast and click a link for this story in the eight spot and get more details on why this is such a big deal. Move on to the number seven story, which is slightly serious, slightly silly. Let's go to the headline and kind of work it from there. And that headline is, Vegan blogger eating meat after diet caused early menopause. 
That's what she says, and that's what the headline says. We got the story. We pulled it from over the. We posted on Tuesday, June the fourth. We pulled it from the New York Post, and he got a bump in response from the eight story of four point nine seven percent. A few lines from this story, if you're into vegans or early menopause. A former vegan who lived off a gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, meat-free, and refined sugar-free diet has ditched the plant-based regimen and started eating burgers. Verpi McCollin, 38, claims her vegetarian diet, quote, brought on early menopause, unquote, leading to hot flashes and absent periods. An award-winning blogger who championed plant-based eating, Verpi's vegan diet, along with her four cookbooks, earned her hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. Thing is, she was eating the best possible foods. Verpi, who also known as Vangela on Instagram, never imagined the everything she, she promoted could be making her drastically ill. But when she developed a rash on her face, she immediately sought the help of a specialist in Chinese medicine who told Verpi she must stop eating so much raw food and start eating meat. You can go deeper into that one. Hopefully, I'm saying her name right. It's spelled V-I-R-P-I. So, Verpi, Verpi, uh, if that's where you want to go. Or Van Vanelja, because I'm not European. I have that issue. Uh, so, you can get deeper in that story, whether you believe it or unbelieve it. This is someone who uh, was going through the raw meat, raw, sorry, raw vegetable thing, which is supposed to be great for you, but decided that, you know, health was a priority, and she had to go to meat back to meat however you want to call that so when you're thinking about your diets number one always consult the physician always read the books read the pros and cons of this of the diet so you know what's going on and don't think of it as a crash diet think of it as a lifestyle change so make sure it's something you can live for a lifetime obviously miss verpe could not live on no meat all raw stuff for the rest of her lifetime this is the headline for the number six story. The gig could be up in California for companies like Uber and Lyft. We posted this on Sunday, June the 2nd, a bumper response of 10.31%. And the story, the source of it, is from NBC News' website. And it's about, as you go to the website, it'll say, gaining this, gaming the system. Here's a few lines for that one because this is a very big topic for a lot of people who, A, rely on Lyft and Uber and those services for getting around and rely on them for getting paid. So this is out of San Francisco. California's lawmakers on Wednesday took their first major step towards settling a debate about whether Uber and Lyft drivers are employees or contractors. The state assembly passed Assembly Bill 5, which would enshrine a 2018 California Supreme Court ruling that laid out a three-part ABC test to determine whether a worker can be considered a contractor, factoring in the kind of work being done and the business of hiring companies. 2018 case, which brought more, which brought more than a decade ago by a driver for a parcel and document delivery company, was initially celebrated by labor activists who believed it would establish the precedent necessary for drivers and many other contract workers to receive the benefits and protections legally afforded to employees in California. But in the more than a year since the ruling, known as Dynamex, few major gig economy companies have converted their workforce from contractors to employees. For Lyft and Uber drivers, among others, the law would mean a bevy of legal rights and protections, including better pay, benefits, and the ability to unionize. As employees, drivers would have some stability and predictability after seeing their earnings decline in what had once been a reasonably lucrative gig. 
I have more cons than pros about the business practices of Lyft and Uber as opposed to, well, more with Uber because they seem to be really scummier guys than the folks at Lyft. But just the way the whole thing works, and I have some pros and cons for the taxi industry, which they did disrupt. But as a person who deems himself conservative, but when it comes to being fiscal, I'm extremely liberal on things. I think people that work for a something should get paid very well and not get paid on the slide, do whatever they can to to keep them from getting a fair wage and keep them from getting protections. That's one thing that as a person who works for a lot of things as a contractor, I have to worry about. So people doing these things I worry about as well. I'm not a driver for either of those companies and I don't actually take them. So I straddle the fence on that end. But you can see where there are issues with these things as people are jumping on them as the next best new thing and finding out that they're, they're not quite as secure and as stable in doing this it's like selling avon and deciding that you're going to go full-time on selling it which is fine because some people find a way to sell their avon if you still sell avon whatever it is you can sell multi-market multi-level marketing and make a lot of money from it and some people barely make back their investment a lot of lyft drivers and uber drivers find themselves with maintenance and gas and just kind of sitting around they're not making that much money so what spare a couple hours notwithstanding the actual lucrativeness of working for a full hour's wage gets lost quickly on some of these people. For the many fans of the true crime genre, I know there's plenty of you out there because it's a massive it's a massive hit along folks, and I know a lot of people I've talked to who listen to this are that. This is a story that falls straight line to something that may turn into a Dateline NBC special fairly soon. Here's your headline. A strange husband arrested in disappearance of Connecticut mother of five, Jennifer Dulos. We posted this on Sunday, June the 2nd, a bump in response from the sixth story of 2.78%. The New York Times is our source for this story. More than a week ago, Jennifer Doulas disappeared after she dropped her five children off at school in a wealthy town in Connecticut. The police soon began investigating her estranged husband, with whom she had been involved in a bitter divorce and custody battle. On Saturday night, the estranged husband and his girlfriend were arrested and charged with hindering prosecution and tampering with evidence in relation to the disappearance of Ms. Deleuze, 50, who remains missing. Her disappearance was set off, his disappearance has set off a search across the state and focused widespread attention on their marriage, which had been the subject of a lengthy court fight that included more than 400 filings, many about custody and visitation rights. Ms. Doulas' husband, Fotis Doulas, also was engaged to, in a lawsuit with the estate of her deceased father over $1.7 million in loans that Mr. Doulas had failed to pay back, according to the court documents. And this gets deeper and deeper into this story. As I said, if you're a fan of Dateline, and I got sucked into a bunch of Dateline in the past couple weekends, this is something that you could find just playing out directly on a show like that or any other true crime podcast that are going out there. Check them out. Um, check out true, true, true crime podcast. Sure, check those out. And check out more details on this story by going to the link for this podcast. Not true crime, but true stories, we hope. Go to thisisaconversation.com, click on the link for this week's podcast, click on the link for this story, and go deeper into detail for this. Sometimes the good guys wins. Sometimes the, the villains just fall on banana peels and fall on their faces. Sometimes the stars are aligned where just the silliness of life shows up and shows you just where people's head are. This is one of those cases. Story in the number four spot this week from Thursday, June the 6th, reads like this for the headline, Teacher who asked Trump to remove the illegals is fired. 25.34% bump in response from the five story and the story, the source 
is USA Today. We're going to read you a few lines from this one. We've talked about this lady before, and now we're talking about the end of this lady, or at least of her career. A Texas school board has voted unanimously to fire a high school English teacher who reached out to President Donald Trump on Twitter and encouraged him to kick the illegal immigrants out of her Fort Worth district. Georgia Clark, who had been an English teacher at Carter Riverdale High School since 1998, was fired Tuesday, less than a week after she was suspended for her social media posts. A quote, Mr. President, Fort Worth Independent School District is loaded with illegal students from Mexico. Carter Riverside High School has been taken over by them. Drug dealers are on our campus and nothing was done to them when the drug dogs found the evidence, Clark tweeted May 17th from her now-deleted Twitter account, Rebecca1939. This is from the Washington Post reported. Following that with anything you can do to remove the illegals from Fort Worth would be greatly appreciated, she wrote in another tweet. She actually wrote a bunch of tweets to uh, President Trump. The problem was they weren't direct messages to President Trump. They were straight-up tweets to the public account, which means they were public to everyone. And therein lies the problem, uh, because apparently our English teacher uh, did not have the wherewithal to know how the technology worked. So Ms. Clark sent these messages thinking she's basically sending emails to the White House just essentially essentially scribbling on the, the walls in the White House, just letting people know what's going on. And oddly enough, the district where she lives and the, t- the students that she teaches are all in her class, mostly because that district, that area, is filled with people where many people are English as a second language. So she's probably dealing with a lot of issues there. So maybe she was a bit stressed and maybe she was a bit overworked and maybe she was a bit hot on her collar about an issue that she had a right to worry about. Or maybe she was really old and a bigot. You can be the judge in that one. You can complain to me inside of social media or email me at theconversationinbox at gmail.com and tell me if I'm being unfair because I'm not. Next time you have that conversation with that woke family member, probably at one of these upcoming family reunions coming up in a little bit, and they start talking about hip-hop and urban culture, and they bring up Jay-Z and drop the whole, you know we used to sell drugs, right? Make sure they drop this line in that conversation as well. This is the headline from Variety this week. Jay-Z is officially a billionaire. Like him or not, that's what they say. Monday, June the 3rd, the day we posted that, 3.14% bump in response from the number four story. This is where we go for Variety, and this is where we go for more on this story. Jay-Z is the first hip-hop artist to become a billionaire, according to a new cover story in Forbes. The article opens by recalling the 2010 meeting between the rapper and billionaire Warren Buffett, from which the octogenarian game away impressed. Jay is teaching in a lot bigger classrooms than I ever teach in, he said. For a young person growing up, he's the guy to learn from. Less than 10 years later, the magazine surveys Sean Carter's empire, which spans music, a streaming service, liquor, art, real estate, and stakes in other companies, and determines that it, quote, his conservative totals $1 billion, unquote. It also notes that he built his own brands. The Rockefeller clothing line sold for $204 million in 2007. Deuce, a cognate he owns with Bacardi, titled the music streaming service and its multifaceted Rock Nation music and sports empire. So you can read more about that there and more about his numbers. You can see all the numbers that they have for what it is. So basically... They did the math and then Variety copied the numbers and worked from there. So if you have any sort of doubts on the people in that industry making real money, oh, trust me, 
they making real money this real real reels uh check it out you may not be a fan of jay-z but this is one case where you can't hate the player you got to hate the game he was able to jump in with what he had and do great things and change his style change his life i'm pretty sure beyonce is the reason why he's a billionaire i mean if he was married to i don't know sally in accounting and they'd still be no 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 offense to sally accounting but you know beyonce sort of raises the level of your of your game if you got to be an entrepreneur if you know what i mean turmoil continues for the national rifle association not sure if it's the org itself or the money issues again but apparently they want to get to the bottom of something as the headline nra subpoenas oliver north its ex-president posted on thursday june the 6th a bump in response of 10.27%. This is in the number two story, of course. Uh, a few lines from the Daily Beast, who wrote up their uh, their thoughts on this story. The National Rifle Association's already toxic legal fight has gotten nastier somehow as the powerful gun rights group has subpoenaed its ex-president. Previously unreported do- court documents show the group served a subpoena on Oliver North late last month. It also subpoenaed Lance Olson and Daniel Bourne, According to documents, all three men are members of the NRA's own board. The subpoenas ask for a number of documents from North. Anything sent from April 10th through May 22nd regarding people who work for the NRA's longtime ad firm, Ackerman McQueen. Any communications sent over the NRA's contentious Indianapolis convention about CEO Wayne LaPierre or Ackerman McQueen. Documents about NRA's expenditures, documents about North's expenses, and communications about leaks. The subpoena points to the friction between the NRA and its former president and highlights the extent to which the fight rolling the organization is focused on money and the media. It specifically demands communications, quote, related to a leak or dissemination of previously non-public documents or information, unquote, and cite stories from the Washington Free Beacon and the Daily Beast. The NRA previously alleged that the ad firm leaked confidential information to media outlets as part of an effort to damage senior officials in the NRA. So the NRA is having a lot of problems, a lot of problems, and a lot of them stem from the fact that nobody really knows what they're doing. If there is anything such as shadow government organizations that just sort of play puppet masters, NRA could probably qualify as one. They gather a lot of money from people who are giving them money for supporting mostly one issue one main point and all the money they gather goes to connecting and making connections and working with people to make that point work out but in a sense they're making a lot of other points work out and that's just sort of it they're either just spending up money like water or they're spending money extra on extra things and no one really knows where it's going which is a problem for a business and a nonprofit organization tax-free status means a lot to these people because it means you're not paying taxes therefore you got to make sure the books are looking right and the books aren't. So we're going to find out more and more and more about the NRA and its workings now and whether it will survive as it is. Of course, it's one of the biggest lobbying firms to the people in Washington. That's the folks that make our laws and all that stuff. Uh, and, and people say they basically buy them. They're literally in the pockets of the gun rights lobby. This is a case where you can basically say that. But... We're going to see if the NRA survives. We're going to see if another gun rights lobby survives. Trust me, there are plenty other ones like them. And you will see whether um, Oliver North will survive this one. Survived a lot of stuff so far. I'm sure he'll have a way out of this one. And we move on to the number one story for this week. This is the top rated Twitter story of the week. 
It was posted on Sunday, June the 2nd. It has a bump in response of the two story of 31%, a bump in response from the number 10 story, which was James Holtzauer giving money to the school or to keeping kids in school of 186%. And from the number 204 story, which we'll give you the headline in a moment, 4,966%. It also proves that we must be more international than we than we think sometimes, or I just had no idea what was going on when I posted this, and it just sort of blew up. Here's the headline. Parsi cafes, a centuries-old tradition in India, are vanishing. And I posted it from, oddly enough, NPR. And that's where it is. I'll read you a few lines from the story, and we'll go into a little bit about what this may mean for the grand scheme of things. The brown walls are peeling at the ends. Giant paint chips cake the ceilings. And the cash register, if you can call it that, is just a series of old wooden drawers. I'm going to put up a sign that says, Enter at your own risk. Otherwise, someone's going to hold me liable, said Ronan Kumnor, one of the owners of the nearly century-old Britannica and Company, one of Mumbai's last Parsi cafes. Luckily for Kumnor, these quirky interiors have long been seen as more as an attraction than a liability. Parsi cafes like Britannica & Company started popping up around Mumbai in the late 19th century. They were founded by Parsis, Zoroastrians, who fled religious persecution in their native Persia. The cafes became popular among many in the India because in a society where caste systems and long-standing taboos remain omnipresent, these cafes offered a place where various parts of Indian society mingled freely. They are, in a word, cosmopolitan. They are also, in two words, dying out. One of the world's oldest religions, Zoroastrianism, began thousands of years ago in what is now Iran, and the faith predates Islam. A central ethical tenet of the faith is to promote, quote, good works, good thoughts, and good deeds, unquote. The Zoroastrian migrants brought to India not only their religious traditions, but also their unique cuisine, offering a table to people of all classes, religions, and ethnicities in an atmosphere scented with Irani and Guwanti spices. Parsi cafes are emblems of tolerance, a core teaching of the prophet Zoroaster, and their affordable food and snug tables attest to their place as servers of the common man. At one point, there were around 400 Parsi cafes scattered around Mumbai. Today, there are less than 40. So if this is the piece of history that relates to you or culture relates to you. I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly how it made it to the top, but it did. Apparently, there's enough people who are Parsis, who are love Parsis, who wanted to be into the culture. Maybe there are a lot of Zoharians who are into their culture. We maybe got lucky in the search this week. I'm not sure. But this is a story that Per said you guys, per said the numbers, maybe it was the bots, that was tops this week. No funny commentary, no sad commentary, no real deep commentary. This is just the story that's at the top. And as I literally said moments ago and say all the way through this podcast, you make this happen because you voted this in. How did you vote it in? Well, you didn't so much cast a ballot, but you just engaged with the stories as we posted them every 50 minutes in our social media feeds. On Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. And on Facebook, we are This Is The Conversation. Search for us there. Like us. Make sure we are primary in your feed. And as you check, do what you do anyway, check your feed for things. You'll see our stories or the stories we post from other people in the feed. Engage with them. Like it, love it, hate it, share it, reply to me, reply to anybody you want to. And the more engagement a story gets, just like this one did, the higher it goes. 
Will we have another story along these lines next week? Probably not in the top 10 spot. Not probably not in the number one spot, I should say. But a lot of these pop up in the top 10. We are uh, a lot more international than people may think in this thing for a guy from Alabama chalking things up from Arkansas. Guy from Alabama talking things up in Arkansas. See, I'm, I can't even talk right. But we do do our best to give you the best in stories. And you guys said this was worth having conversation about. And I will agree. This is something that's really interesting to have a conversation about. We'll also have a conversation about something that's really interesting that you guys said wasn't all that interesting, but I think might be kind of important coming up in a few minutes. Plus, housekeeping on that story in the number eight spot, the story that got me the most negative response I've ever had in the three or so years we've been doing this whole thing. That's coming up next on the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending June the 8th, 2019. Warby Parker was literally built on taking care of people in an extraordinary way. The whole thought process behind this company that gives you great eyeglasses and great frames, great lenses for a great price and great, great convenience is that it's extremely convenient to give glasses to people out in the middle of nowhere. In remote places, you can get good glasses to people at a very low price. So why can't you get them to people in the middle of the Midwest or out west in California or somewhere in the Deep South or maybe just Minnesota? It's simple. Warby Parker figured it out, and they're going to do you a solid and do us a solid if you use our link at our website. This is theconversation.com slash Warby Parker. Their standard deal applies. They'll send you five different frames to try on before you buy anything. You can try on five different frames before you buy anything. And if you don't like those, try on five more. They let you get the convenience of knowing that the glasses that you are going to purchase are the ones you're going to love. And the prices are reasonable, and the service is reasonable. And if you have a chance to visit one of their stores, that's an experience that's going to be out of this world. But if you're just a normal person like me, and you just want to get good glasses for a good price without any real hassle, Warby Parker will take good care of you. Check them out at thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker. Thisistheconversation.com slash Warby Parker. Five frames to try on before you buy anything. Try that on for size. Literally from Warby Parker. Getting into housekeeping for this week, we're going to start on this story that came up in the 8 spot. This is the only real bone of contention this week and what we did about it, which was basically nothing. We posted the headline, Noah Pohoven of Arnhem in the Netherlands is legally euthanized. And we posted it because it was trending. That's why I pulled it up. It was a story that I had no idea what was going on. I read it as it came through, figured we'd, let's see what the audience would do and go for that. There are many stories you put out there that are trending and very hot that just don't get any traction, period. And as we said for this week, 204 distinct stories, and this one popped up with the help of Facebook and Twitter to be inside the top 10. So it seemed like it was a pretty big deal. And then the story changed. The story was false. At least the headline was false. It was it was poorly, poorly reported that the young lady had been euthanized because she wanted to after dealing with the rape. What she actually did was she refused all food and 
will more or less die from suicide. Both of these issues are extremely, extremely deep and detailed. And if you want to go deeper than that, we can discuss this on off, offhand, off, offline if you'd like to. But we apologize if we did anything out there to run a story that was not true. We put the link out there and the way we put the links out there, we, we line them up, we put up there, they go live. And unless something truly insane happens, they stay up there. We may have to review the policies going forward, but that's why when this thing was posted, we got several replies on taking it down. Uh, we did not take it down. Number one, this was not our news story. We are not a quote-unquote news organization. We are an aggregator of stories to people talk about. So the response more or less goes to the source of the story, which is not getting out of out of, out of any, any not not getting out of any resolve. Not saying we we're out of all, all all harm. It's just a matter of that's where the story came from. So we went with a credible news source, which is news.com.au, and they are mostly good with everything we have that we pulled from them before. This one they had the change when more information came out. Someone jumped a gun, and we are sorry we got caught up into it. That's all the Mia Copas we can offer up on that one, unfortunately. Fortunately, we can go to the next story, and there's no Mia Copas needed. It's just a sort of quirky thought. Story number 204 this week. And we call this story the almost relevant story of the week because it's usually a later story posted inside of the the week something posted thursday night or friday morning that doesn't have a lot of time to germinate a lot of response not a lot of people can click onto it because it doesn't have much time so a story posted on friday afternoon of the previous friday has plenty of time to gather moss story posted on friday morning of the story morning we're recording this does not this one had that and but it's still odd that no one really jumped onto it friday june the 7th as we record this it was posted and the headline is, Theresa May officially steps down as Tory leader. We're not going too deep into Theresa May because I think she's been beaten up enough. In fact, if you look at this picture that is in this story, we posted the link from the BBC. It's a picture of her in her normal suit wear, but someone has drawn behind her uh, boxing ring ropes and she's wearing boxing gloves because of the issue she's had with the whole Brexit thing, which I don't even think was her, were her, was her idea. Just they kind of roped her into it and then wouldn't, wouldn't sign the deal to make it work. Theresa May, after a lot of stuff this week, meeting with President Donald Trump for the very last time, after he basically undermined all her authority, again as well, uh, is done. She's officially stepped down as leader of the Tory movement, the Tory party, and is obviously no longer going to be the prime minister. There will be a, there is currently a vacuum for who's in charge. They will figure it out because they're over there, we're over here, we have our own problems, unfortunately, and life will go on. Whether the Brexit will work right now, there are rumblings that the UK is leaving the European Union whether they have a deal to depart or not. So I'm not sure if there's a default deal, there's a if there's some sort of fee that you have to pay, you don't get your security deposit, I'm not sure how that works out. But the, the EU is going to lose a member fairly soon, it's going to be United Kingdom, because that's what they're doing, and we'll see whether they do it properly, or they just... I guess, in the words of Larry the Cable Guy, just get her done and deal with the consequences. On the way next, we'll get to the top 15 
actually 11 through 15, the five for the top 15, to tell you which stories didn't quite make it in range for a top 10 spot this week. And we'll give some shout-outs to some people who showed us extra love on the social media this week. For the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne for the week ending June the 8th, 2019. There are plenty of podcasts out there to consume. There is more than enough podcasts for any one person to listen to in a dozen lifetimes. So how do you know if the podcast you want to listen to or you're being pitched is a good one? That's a good question. That's a very complicated question because good is in the eye of the beholder and finding out what's out there is a matter of learning and discovering what's out there. And with so many things out there, it's hard to get past the big names. Well, listen to Mary Payne Gilbert and her podcast called Pain in the Pod. Her podcast is pretty simple. It's just a podcast of her interviewing other podcasters. And because she has a quirky and southern style, you might enjoy that more than actually getting to know the podcasters. But trust me, the podcasters she picks out are some of the most interesting and sometimes insane ones out there. If you want to learn about some brand new podcasts that are off beaten path, find out what Mary Payne Gilbert has in her pod with pain in the pod and you can find it pretty much anywhere your pods are cast and her main website for more information is pain p-a-y-n-e in the pod.com Let's get to the shout-outs for this week. Thank you so much for showing us love on social media. Just being there in general, interacting with the stories is a great thing. Them popping up in your feed means that you are pretty interactive with what's going on. But doing the extra love and liking, loving, hating, sharing, responding makes it even better. Makes the whole world go around, especially all those who gave responses to the story we had on the young lady who believed was um, euthanized, but actually basically committed suicide. We took our lumps we're taking our hits and we are working to do better in the future but now more happier themed shout outs going out to many folks who gave us extra love on social media that includes names like Jeannie Biggs Ruthann Miller Audra Allen and of course they shared some stuff so we're going to talk about them the state of vagina one voice against 29 others of course Angela Drummond Matthews and Junked Rebellion also love to Rebecca Davis, Shelly and Sites, and Wave Ellison. Hopefully I said that right. Let's move on to some Twitter love. That was Facebook love, by the way. Twitter love going out to, it gets even better, Moist Sponge. Thank you, Moist Sponge, for sharing us some of our stuff. Also, Charlene. Thanks, Charlene. Richard Tater, The Media Matters, uh, Mikhail Henderson, also Rhett, and let's do Jilly P. Jilly P just jilly p thank you so much for being a part of the conversation really being part of the conversation for today let's get on with the wrap up wrapping up the big ones and that is the well not so big ones the the bottom 15 so we're wrapping up in fact the not so big ones going with the rounding out of the stories that didn't quite make it into the top 10 which there's a little bit of placement, a little bit of context, but not a whole lot going into the big stories because if they were that important, you guys would have voted them up higher. That's basically what I believe. Starting off the story that's in the spot number 11 today, the headline for that story reads just like this. Dad loses eye, part of nose after common symptoms lead to cancer diagnosis. Fox News posted this one and we put it out on Friday, May the 31st. 
we're going to read some stories or some parts from the story so you can kind of get context. Basically, you might want to, you definitely want to um, be wary when you click the link at our website to see the pictures, the before and after pictures of the dad. It's very, very, very gruesome. Uh, but you get a chance to see what, basically what happened after the diagnosis. I'll read a few lines and you can decide whether you want to go there yourself. A dad suffering from a watery eye for six months was horrified when it turned out to be facial cancer. Graham Howard from Lyme, Cheshire, has been left with a hole in his face after doctors had removed his right eye and part of his nose to tackle the tumor. The 58-year-old had spent months dealing with eye problems and had felt pressure on his sinuses but believed it was nothing more than sinister than conjuvitis. He claims even doctors initially thought it was a dry eye condition before realizing it was cancer. Graham, a physiotherapist, was eventually diagnosed with a cancerous tumor in his nasal lining in 2011, which he has dubbed the alien. Since then, he has undergone almost 30 operations and now wears a prosthetic face piece to help him breathe. This, as I said, was a very, very, very scary looking looking picture so brace yourself for that one it's very disturbing but check it out and basically it's a reminder that any ache and pain that you have is a sign that your body is telling you something is wrong and this is something that was very wrong with the guy it took him a while to feel the eyes what he thought was a simple eye issue was really a serious cancer in his face let's move on to the story in the number 12 spot today and its headline goes like this it's a headline that many people will rejoice on because that means we're done talking about the guy, right? Here it is. Empire co-creator, colon, Smollett will not return. USA Today is the source for this story. We posted the story on Wednesday, June the 5th, 2019. So let's get some of the details from Lee Daniels, who told the world he done with Jesse, or Juicy, or whatever you are calling him these days. Empire will move on without embattled co-star Jesse Smollett. The news comes straight from the Fox Dramas co-creator, Lee Daniels, who took to Twitter Tuesday to encounter a variety report that speculated Smollett will return for the sixth and final season of the show. This is not factual, Daniels tweeted. Jesse will not be returning to Empire. Smollett was written out of the final episodes of season five after he was arrested and charged with filing a false police report in connection with a January incident that Chicago law enforcement authorities said was a hoax. Police say Smollett was unhappy with his pay on Empire, so he staged a racial and homophobic attack as a way to gain publicity. And you all know how that worked out. And we're done with him. We're done with him. We are done. So thank you so much for doing what you did, Jesse Smollett. We done with you. Lee Daniels done with you. We all done with you. A possible world gone mad, cats and dogs living together scenario happening inside of Congress. As Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz agree on ban of lawmakers taking paid lobbyist positions. That's the headline. And we posted on Friday, May 31st. And we posted that from a story we pulled from CNN Politics. And so it goes deeper. I'm not going to go too deep into the actual story because it's pretty self-explanatory. But they are basically working on legislation. It's a big deal right now about the lobbying thing. And how, how Ted Cruz is in on this thing. I'm not exactly sure because Ted Cruz seems like the guy you would think would want to be a lobbyist when he's done in Congress. But apparently they're coming together to put out a fairly big idea to come up with the real bipartisan effort to keep people leaving Congress from going back into the world of, of 
Congress by dodging and being lobbyists, basically taking lots of money from other people and giving to other congressmen. So this is a big deal. I mean, there's talk about term limits, talk about things to limit the power and the, the scope that many people in Congress, senators and, and representatives have. And this is something that's a really basically a big sell. You go to Congress, you get one term in Congress and learn the inner workings, how things work out. And then a, basically a cushy job as a lobbyist is, is essentially there for you. The right people hire you with the right amount of money and you have the influence to talk to people who were your peers. These people, a very young a congressperson and a very older and wily senator are gaining some support to work on the bill, to work on some bipartisan legislation to get things together. This is probably the only thing they actually agree on. And if they agree on something else, I'd be very surprised. We'll see how this thing actually comes out and whether the other congressmen find a way to basically stop it before it happens. A current trend for extremely good-looking and extremely talented athletes is to have their kids show them up. And right now, Russell Wilson is on that bandwagon with his daughter. Here's the headline we have for the 14 story. Russell Wilson and daughter Sienna are taking ballet classes together, and it's just the cutest. So, yeah, you can click on the link inside of to this week's uh, podcast, and you can see the pictures and go to the story. I mean, it's not even worth jumping into. However, I will jump on this. It's not something that started with Seth Curry uh, uh, three, four years ago when his daughter took over all the press conferences. This is something that actually is a bigger deal when you see the celebrities and they're usually the dudes we're talking about because I'm a dude uh, hanging out with their daughters doing daddy-daughter stuff. It's not so much that we're jealous. It's just, you know, really you're already jealous of them being great athletes and then they've got all this cute kid stuff that makes them extra famous. It's there as well. Trust me, my daughter would love to do all the cute stuff that this one has when she's not just bossing me around in general. But check this one out. This is something that got tossed around. Was It was a trending thing on Twitter for a bit, so we tossed it out there, and you guys loved it. Not quite enough to make it top 10, but loved it enough to make it into the count for this week. And finally, to actually round out the top 15 with the story in the 15 spot, this is the headline, Meteorologists fear 5G network could f- take forecasting back to 1980s. Let me read you a few lines from CBS This Morning's website, a story they did on their morning show on May the 31st to kind of get you a taste of what they're talking about. 2019 hurricane season officially starts tomorrow. Government forecasters predict 9 to 15 named storms. 2 to 4 could become major hurricanes. That's a Category 3 or higher. But the ability to predict these monster storms may be thrown off by the next generation of cell phones. On one side of the debate, scientists worry that future 5G networks will hurt satellite data they rely on. The other side, federal regulations and cell phone companies are racing to deploy the 5G technology, which will deliver information up to 100 times faster than today's mobile networks. Quote, this is a huge concern because we fear the advances in weather forecasting are at the risk. Marshall Shepard, director of the University of Georgia's Atmospheric Sciences Program, said, Meteorologists are concerned because some of the frequencies the Federal Communications Commission's plans to use for 5G are located next to the only frequency where weather satellites can detect water vapor, a critical component for accurate forecasting. They worry the new 5G transmissions will interfere with the weather data collection, making it less accurate. This is an actual serious story, so check it out by clicking the link at our website for this week's podcast and go deeper into it. But this is something that I'm actually kind of familiar with. This is uh, something that I'm familiar with doing radio because, believe it or not, while you think 
a, a radio beam is harmless once it goes in the air and bounces around. There's only so many frequencies and so much actual space that the waves can be transmitted through and and be picked up and delivered. That's why you can only have so many stations so close to each other, and if you get close enough to it, they'll phase each other out. And that's why so many cities and so many stations are so far apart, so space far apart on the dial if you listen to radio. Now, there was a big push for television because there's no longer using the TV signal to start using that for something like broadband because it's wide open. The static that you see is not actually something being transmitted. It's lack of something being transmitted. So there'll be less static if you used something like that, that free that free uh, spectrum for transmitting things. No one's figured out how to make that work yet. Once they do, I'm sure there'll be a great, there'll be money into it, exactly. But there's only so many space, there's only so much space in the invisible air for frequencies to work on. There's example right there, the fact that the 5G networks are going to use something that's close to what the satellite companies are using or the weather satellite companies are using to keep up with the weather is a issue. Now, going back to the 1980s might be a bit of a, a drama, but making it so that the satellites that we're using now aren't as effective is a big deal, especially last year's hurricane season because it was, it was crazy. What is not crazy is the fact that we got this thing done and got it done in great time. We told you we're working on brevity, and apparently this week we worked out brevity fairly well. So we're done. That's it. 15 plus one stories counted down for the week ending the of June the 8th, 2019. My name is Jay Cleveland Payne. Thank you so much for being a part of the Conversation Project this week. And this is a conversation giving you wrapping up the stories that you determined were the top for this week. And how did you determine all this nonsense? Plain and simple, you follow us on social media and you just follow along with the stories. Every 50 minutes we post brand new stories in the social media feeds and all you have to do is reply to them or like them or love them or share them or do whatever to do to engage with the stories and the higher engagement a story gets, the higher the score gets into the rankings and it gets into the top or somewhere in the middle and then we don't talk about those. But we do talk about the ones at the very top and the one at the very, very bottom. You can do that by following us on Facebook at This Is The Conversation. Also on Instagram, This Is The Conversation. On Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. And, of course, our main website is thisistheconversation.com. The biggest thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the podcast every week getting the information that's there. Make sure you stop by the website for this week's podcast to read more about all the stories. And if you know other people who you think would love this type of stuff, share the podcast with them. And by share it, I mean grab their phones, plug it in, give it to them, tell them to listen, and then bother them every 20 minutes make sure they're listening to the episodes because they'll enjoy it. They'll get so much out of it, they won't. You'll, you'll be surprised how happy they will get that. So find some strangers, find some friends, find some enemies, find just people on the street, just grab their phones, subscribe to the podcast, and whatever podcatcher you like because it's not about them, it's about you, and then hand it back to them. And like I said, we're in all the podcasters you're looking for, but check out the website, thisisaconversation.com, for links to basically everywhere we probably are. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Congratulations for making it this far. Uh, history has made itself again, and hopefully you'll be around for more history coming up next week. I am Jay Cleveland Payne. Debate with me at the conversation inbox at gmail.com or jaycleavenpayne at gmail.com. More information about me at jaycleavenpayne.net. See you next week for more great conversations, more great news stories. You tell us which ones are the biggest ones, and I'll let you know what they are. From the Conversation Project, from this, it's the conversation.com.